Hey, everybody, this is Chris Gaunt coming at you from New York State. In today's session, we'll be talking my journey from a more traditional business life to the world of an actor, producer, director, and screenwriter. And if I can help anyone with their career, please feel free to reach out to me anytime at www.chrisgauntactor.com. I hope you all enjoy the show. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. And now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Hi everyone, Chris Gaunt is with us today. He is an American actor. He is a producer, director, and writer. He has performed in films, commercials, and music videos. He is known for his work in the films Paint, Lorena, A Lasting First Impression, Against the Ropes, Follow Her, Daydreams of a Drowning Girl, Catching Up, La Transione, which means The Transaction, and others. In fact, the last I checked, I counted 15 films that he has done so far, and this is after he has left a 32-year corporate job that he held his whole occupational life, I would say, and he decided to do something crazy like go to Hollywood and become an actor, and the fact that you're still married, Chris, astonishes me, because usually I would think your wife would think you're crazy and you're going through one of those midlife crises and fly the coop, you know, but congratulations. Come on in here. I want to talk to you about your career, what you're doing. I did not even mention yet that behind the camera, you've also produced, directed, and written several films and other projects, and it's a pleasure to have you. Chris Gaunt, come on in. Say hello. Hello, Rick. Thank you so much for that wonderful, kind, uh, and very thorough introduction. I really appreciate that, Rick, and I'm um, uh, pleased to be your guest this morning. Thank you so much for the invite, and uh, look forward to our chat. Absolutely. 32 years with one of the giant Fortune 100, not 500, Fortune 100 companies, and 32 years, and you just, what, you decided to retire and then get in the film industry. Has this been a dream of yours, or did it happen by accident when somebody invited you to be in a motion picture, or how did this happen? Yeah, great question, Rick. And, you know, just to go back a little bit, I I spent 32 years in a much more traditional corporate world doing many different things for, um, again, a Fortune 100 company, as you alluded to, and had a wonderful experience doing that. And what led me to this kind of pivotal moment in my life is um, I was fortunate enough with the company to receive a very large award, kind of like the Academy Awards of this particular company. And my wife, uh, Kathy, was able to join me for that special occasion. And I I remember as I was accepting that award and thanking those that, you know, helped me get there because it's 
always a team effort. I, I did envision myself saying, okay, I've kind of climbed this mountain, you know, in the business world in terms of what I wanted to do for them. And now, because this is five years ago, I was still relatively young, depending on how you define youth. I felt incredibly strong. I felt very good, very passionate about kind of, you know, exiting stage left from that environment proactively because I was in a position to do that. And then I shared with uh, Kathy and our, our two children that this is what I wanted to pursue the rest of my life. And um, I'm one of those guys, Rick, that um, I don't just kind of dive into things uh, a little bit. I dive into the <laughs> into the 12 foot end of the swimming pool right away, uh, like I did with um, my former business experience. And I, I gave myself, you know, kind of the um, almost the ultimatum in a, in a positive way. You're not going to sink. You're going to swim. And um, be humble, be gracious, ask a lot of questions, dive in again, head first, learn as much as you can, work your tail off, and then let's see where this ends up. And the catalyst behind it all was as a very young kid, I loved really passionately two things in my life. One was anything and everything having to do with athletics uh, all through my life. And I've, I'm still passionate about that. And also uh, performing and, and, you know, uh, whether that was film, really good television, theater, uh, I just loved, especially film. I mean, my my family was very supportive, and I remember around you know Sunday around the Sunday dinner table, we'd always be talking about you know the films that we enjoyed or the films that were coming up that we wanted to see together as a family, and we'd dissect those films, and we talked about we talk about casting choices and directing choices and location choices and you know character arc choices and all the things that I, I just loved, and I ate those discussions up. So as I kind of close my eyes and, and think finally back to my childhood days growing up, one of four, the oldest of four children. Children, you know, talking sports uh, and then um, particularly football <laughs> and then uh, you know, talking about the film world were two things that I'm, I'm still as passionate about now as I was many, many years ago. So that was kind of the catalyst in, in uh, making that decision to do something very different for the second part of my life. Right. Well, you don't want to mention football to someone in Cincinnati right now. That is a very bad thing. I, I <laughs> That's a sad I thing to mention, Chris. I know. I suffered through that game. And I was there for, I was living in Cincinnati for many years, loved to follow the Bengals and to see that game it was very, very disappointing, although they had a fabulous year, but I really wanted to see them go to the big dance, you know, go to the Super Bowl. Boy, but wouldn't that you have, have been a fabulous good. era? Oh, it would have been great. It would have been great. And, and such a good thing for the city too, because Cincinnati is so supportive of their Bengals. So, um, you know, I was sad. I don't have a dog in the hunt. Uh, our son, for whatever reason, even though we're in New York, he's a big Eagles fan. So he does have a dog in the hunt. So. We'll see how the Eagles do uh, versus the the Chiefs. And um, all all I guess we can do now is hope for a good game. Right. Now, didn't you go out to California or no? Did you go straight to New York only? Yeah, so great question. Uh, I grew up in New York State. I grew up in the central part of the state and met my wife of 32 years, Kathy, in the eastern quadrant of the state uh, near the state capitol in Albany. And um, when I was working in Cincinnati, we had the chance to come back uh, where I led a team uh, and a division in New York State. So I started the acting journey in New York. And when I exited the company I had worked for, Kathy and I, because our children were both in college, we got into a car with our two dogs. And um, I auditioned Rick for every single thing I could, primarily in the East Coast, but other you know New England states as well. And I have, uh, to your question, I have acted on the West Coast as well. So I've acted in California. And as an actor, uh, you go where you're chosen to go. And um, I view 
any audition and then any job resulting, you know, after an audition as a privilege. So where you're hired, you don't ask questions. Um, if you're capable and you've been chosen or picked and cast, you go. So I've acted on the East Coast. I've acted in the central part of the U.S. and I've acted on the West Coast and everywhere in between. Right. You said that you wanted to become known as one of the easiest guys, if not the easiest person in the world to work with. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I prided myself when I worked in a more traditional business environment to, as I used to say, wear well with customers and wear well with the people I was privileged to manage. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's very similar. I used a sports analogy before, but it's very similar when you're cast. It's similar to being a member of a team. Whether you really understand the film industry or not, it, it is an incredibly difficult, elaborate task, to say the least, and that's an understatement, to, to get a film made. And there's so many unsung heroes behind the scenes that are working their tails off to make that happen. Crew, uh, particularly, that you know, I, I, I always give a tip of the hat to. So anytime, as an actor, you can be a true team player with your castmate, with the director, and with the crew that's working working diligently and, you know, 10, 12, 14 hour days with very little rest in between shoot days, typically if it's a big feature film or even intense short films. I mean, these folks are working so hard. And to me, it's equivalent of being on a, on a team. You know, you come together, you're on a team, you have a very specific goal or objective that you want to make, you know, uh, you want to win games, for example, and take it to the next level. And that's what you want to do in the film world. You come together in a very intense, intimate environment. You work your tail off for, you know, 30, 60, 90, 120 or more days to feature, and then you go on your way you know, onto the next project. But within the time frame of that, you know, project or, or picture, I just want to really become known as an easy to work with guy, a team player, very collaborative, very complimentary and, and humble. Um, so I'll, I'll take that to my grave. There you go. Now they've uh, published in our paper here locally, the morning paper, your you're most familiar with that, I know. But there was a place, there mm -hmm. is a place downtown that Jim Tarbell used to own. It's called Arnold's. You may have heard of it. I'm sure you have. It's a, oh, it was a very historic. Yes, it's a historic restaurant. Yep. And do you know, currently, as we speak right now, they have shut the place down for at least one month, maybe more, maybe a month and a half, they're saying in the article. And why? Because they're making a motion picture in there. I didn't know yeah. if you knew that. Yeah. Somebody has paid off Arnold's and said, we love this place. Now get rid of the, the crowds. We want to use it for our movie. That's a good thing. If you compensate the owner for their loss, don't you think? I absolutely do. And having been on the, uh, as a job, you know, doing location scouting for short films and feature films, that's often what you do. So you'll find a location that meets the production needs and you approach the owner of that location or the manager of that location. You pitch them on why you need it, how long you need it. And then you strike, you know, typically you strike a deal in terms of what that's going to cost and, you know, the parameters around securing that location. And I do remember vividly, you know, when I was still working in the business world, having um, an hors d'oeuvre and a drink waiting uh, for some business uh, folks, uh, a meeting to occur in downtown uh, Cincinnati. And I actually met a producer from L.A. who happened to be sitting next to me. And they had just wrapped a film with Jillian Anderson, and he had just shoveled her to the airport, and he was grabbing a much 
much needed drink and some food because it was a feature film. And this is about not even 10 years ago. And um, he was kind of walking me through all of the films that were being done that year in the greater Cincinnati area. So I do know, and um, you can check facts on this, but each year in Cincinnati, there are 10, 20 or more feature films, and not every year, but on average that are filmed in that greater Cincinnati area for a lot of reasons. One, there's probably a decent tax break for the uh, movie uh, manufacturer, you know, the person that's putting on uh, the movie, the, the producers. And also, Cincinnati is a wonderful area that can really replicate cities across the country. I mean, Cincinnati could be downtown New York. It could be a number of different cities at probably a fraction of the cost and much less hassle as it relates to traffic and, and other things like that. So when you're a producer or a location scout for a film, you're looking at does it meet the needs of the film from an aesthetic standpoint, but also all the other pieces like the money, the, uh, the almighty dollar, and, and how much is this going to cost us to make this feature film? So it's just wonderful uh, to have Cincinnati be such a hotbed of film production. Right. We have all that German, that authentic German architecture, you know, which uh, is, you know, and part of the city, as you know, they even named it Over the Rhine. (laughs) When they named it that, it was a little better uh, of a position to be in if you're there than what a lot of it has become today. But uh, the architecture is still good. Let's say that. And you have all the wonderful bridges. I mean, you have, you know, the, the gateway between Cincinnati and Tucky over the Ohio River. Um, wonderful, beautiful, authentic architecture. It's a very friendly area. It's a very film-friendly area to film. And um, I would absolutely love to be cast in a film where uh, I'd be filming scenes or an entire film in Cincinnati. That would be great to go back there and, and do a feature film there. That would be wonderful. My own stomping grounds. Right. And in northern Kentucky, they have a rest- restaurant there you may have heard of it it's called Pompilio's and that yes. was the scene of Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman. Yes, it was. I know that well. Yes, and I've been in that area many, many times. And there probably hasn't been an, uh, an area or a restaurant that I haven't either explored with my business associates or with Kathy and, and friends. Uh, we lived there in that area for about seven years or so. And uh, we try to do our best to explore every nook and cranny of the greater Cincinnati area and then hopping over into Kentucky as well. Absolutely. We asked the waitress uh, at Pompilio's, uh, where was Dustin Hoffman seated in that film? And she pointed to the empty chair right next to mine. I said, whoa, yeah, that was a little bonus, a little bonus. You know, it's a small place, you know, and I'm sure they they threw the public out, you know, but they made a good film there. They sure did. Oh, such a good film. And what a wonderful actor who's still still going strong um he just every film i just love him he's a fat fabulous actor and what a great film that i'll remember forever right now you decided when you left the corporate world to seek education and coaching in acting now that had to have made a difference in your confidence level when you received expert coaching or expert teaching if you will tell me about that was it was it all you thought it would be yes yes and more so as a result of that me seeking that i made a dear friend for life and her name is laura lee ecabelli and in fact laura lee and i have done two projects together and there will be more laura lee 
currently runs the Blue Horse Repertory Theater and Acting Company in Troy, New York. It's actually in the uh, confines of Russell Sage College, a beautiful college in uh, Troy, New York, which is, you know, right adjacent from Albany, the capital of the state. And she's been doing that for years. She, uh, Laura Lee, is an accomplished theater actress, as well as an accomplished film actress. And her husband, her late husband, had done 30 or 40 um, supporting roles. Um, he's a very, very strong character actor. So long story short, I met Laura Lee through a connection after I'd been cast in a short film. A gentleman said, hey, you know, you should look up Laura Lee and if you want to kind of take what you're doing to the next level. So as a result of that friendship and uh, and tutelage and, and poaching, uh, Laura, Lee and, uh, Laura Lee, excuse me, and I have linked up on two films. Uh, the transaction that you alluded to is a personal story of her grandmother coming uh, and a couple of sisters coming across from Italy in the early 1900s to Ellis Island. And then also Lorena, which is another film you mentioned, is uh, her grandmother from the other side of the family and uh, some trials and tribulations that that young woman 100 years ago in 1922 or 23 went through and was able to you know, persevere. And it's a long story, but she basically got impregnated by her stepfather. True story. Took her stepfather to court and won a landmark case that holds up 100 years later about how obviously that is a very, very, very bad thing to do. And uh, the, the man was incarcerated and that um, was a landmark case. And she was only 12 years old when her grandmother went through that. So as a result of teaming up with Laura Lee, not only is she an amazing acting coach and teacher, she's one of my best friends in the industry and just one of Kathy and I, our best friend, her brother, Tom McAbelli, uh, works with her as well. And um, they wrote Lorena together. And I was fortunate enough to be an executive producer and actor in that film. So yeah, to answer your question, um, it, it's been kind of a dream come true to, to meet someone like that who's so supportive and so willing to collaborate and also a fine creator uh, who's continuing to act and write every day. So um, yeah, it was it was all that and then some. It's been a wonderful experience. It right. really helped kind of kickstart in the right direction. Right. You became an actor later in life, though. You were not a young gentleman when you did that. You were in the corporate world at that time. Uh, I'm going to assume you were yes, in corporate. When did you start in corporate? When you were like 20, 19, or was it later? Yes. Yeah. So um, uh, kind of a brief background, but I was the oldest. I am the oldest of four children. My father, unfortunately, passed away as a very young man. He died at the age of 50. Uh, cancer took him young. And um, I was kind of on a life raft on my own, you know, swimming in the ocean. And I put myself through college in Buffalo and graduated and said, geez, you know, here's a guy. And looking back on this now, I'm, I'm 20, 21 years old, no money. And um, I interviewed my tail off and landed, you know, with a very like you mentioned, large uh, Fortune 100 company that I had about, I felt I had about a 1% chance of securing a job with them because it was so incredibly competitive. And this was many, many years ago, and it's still just as competitive. So I felt very fortunate to be chosen by them. And I felt very loyal to them. And um, yeah, so I started in the business world then because I really felt like I needed to. And I had a strong interest in sales and marketing and finance. And um, you know, the company afforded me the opportunity to really work first in sales, but also have uh, my foot in many different departments in marketing and finance and in product supply, product development, market strategy and planning. And all of that, I think, Rick, really helped me with the base knowledge of the business world. And the film world is a business. You know, people need to understand that. It, yeah, it's creative and it's wonderful, but it is a business. So that baseline of business knowledge really helped me. And then the acting piece, you just grind it out by auditioning, auditioning, auditioning. And then if you're lucky enough and 
fortunate enough to be cast, then you just go at it with all you can and, and hope that you know, those folks want to work with you again and hope that that works speak for, speaks for itself so that you can get cast in something else. But I did start late. I always had an interest in that, but life kind of took over, not in a bad way. It is what it is, but I always felt like if I have a second chance to do something else that I want to chase, I'm going to do this. And that's what I've been doing now for five going on six years. Did your wife think you were crazy? Probably. <laughs> she probably still does. And how, how long have you been married probably, to her? How long? We were married uh, June 2nd, 1990. So we'll be approaching our 33rd year of marriage in June. And uh, Kathy has been wonderful, extremely supportive. And um, if it's unless it's a really strict, you know, screen actors guild set, if it's a non-union film or it's a film that uh, I'm executive producing and I'm behind, not only as an executive producer, producer and an actor, then I do my absolute darn is to have her on set with me. And in fact, we just wrapped a 10-day, pretty intensive 10-day feature shoot a week ago Sunday called The Convergence. And she was uh, with me on set for all 10 days. She was doing our slate. She was showing people back and forth to train stations. She was helping with catering. She was helping with, you know, a number of different things uh, while we're all, you know, on set working as a team. And uh, we were able to jam out a feature film in, in 10 days of very intensive shooting. And I must say, without that support, Support of Kathy and our, our two children. We have a daughter and son in their 20s. I'd be hard pressed to be able to do this. You really, like I mentioned, teamwork before, it really is a team. And without that teamwork, it's a tough sled, uh, especially because of the travel and uh, the demands that this particular business puts on you uh, in terms of time and commitment. You have to be all in or it's just not going to work. No, I agree with that. Now, if your children were not in their 20s, which means they're both adults, but if they were not, if they were in grade school, you would have a problem on your hands, you're saying? I think so, yes. I mean, and again, it all depends on... So if we, if Kathy and I had had children late and I was in a, uh, in this case, kind of a financial position to do what I was able to do five or six years ago, maybe not as much, but if they were very young and I decided to say, you know, I'm in my early to mid thirties or early forties with, you know, quite a bit of, unless you get ill, uh, you know, quite a bit of life runway ahead. And if I had dropped that news on Kathy and the kids, it could have been a very, (laughs) very different scenario in terms of the reaction Uh, and then the ability to do that. And I will say, I've never met a harder working group of folks than I've met in the film industry. And um, it doesn't always equate to dollars and cents, as you're probably aware. So you can absolutely work like crazy, but that doesn't necessarily mean and be successful, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can support yourself on an actor's pay or on a producer's pay or on a director's pay or on a writer's pay. Um, so those that are able to do that and make that commitment as you know, uh, young pups, um, I tip my hat to them. They are incredibly brave and courageous. And, um, you know, they absolutely want it and uh, they're committed to doing that. I was in a position where I kind of reverse engineered that decision because I had a spouse and I had children. So I had to think of that situation before leaping into, you know, the second act of my life. Right. Now, when dad married my mother many years ago, uh, he was the drummer with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra and not even that. Not even that was enough with three children and a wife to make a home by, and he had to 
go out and work in the daytime and he'd play with the big bands and so forth and so on in the evening as well so it's the same in music chris just because you've got that particular gig does not mean that's going to sustain you the rest of your life boy you're right i I worked recently with a very well-known actress in la and i had her uh we you know um my production team we got her to participate and act in a project called The Fledgling. And as she came out, she's delightful. And she was sharing a story with me about a gentleman, an actor that she's friends with, who is a very well-known actor. And, you know, um, didn't mention his name, which I appreciate that she didn't. But she said, you would probably, you you would know this actor if you saw him. And he's well-known. He's constantly working on a very regular basis in television and film, yet to really live the way he wanted to live. And especially LA is so expensive. I I believe uh, it was a motorcycle shop that he ended up owning. So he is an entrepreneur as well and owns a motorcycle shop. And that is, you know, affording him the opportunity candidly to continue to do what he absolutely is passionate and great at, and that's acting. But even a well-known actor or actress in this industry, and the term we always use, Rick, and you know this, is side hustle. Um, So many of us have side hustle businesses so that it affords us the opportunity to continue to work uh, as an actor or a producer or a writer or a director because you know, you might do a, a feature film, but you don't know where that next job or if that next job is happening. So you need something in terms of sustaining yourself between jobs. And uh, that's where, you know, those side hustles are so important. And I can't tell you how many actors and actresses I've met, you know, uh, where they act full time in their mind, they're acting full time, yet they, you know, they, they're working in a restaurant or they're working at a clothier or they're working in retail or they're working a number of different side hustle opportunities in order to make ends meet. It's just the nature of the beast. Oh, I can name you television musicians, which I'm not going to by name, but I could do it. And you can find them at the yeah. music store. <laughs> when yeah. you want to go yeah. in and buy some drumsticks or some reeds for yeah. your saxophone, you know, it's a yeah. side hustle. Yeah. It's a way of contributing to the pot, you know. Yes. And a and, and good way, if you do a side hustle that's related to the field that you're in, then I think that could be somewhat rewarding. I think where it may get a little taxing on your psyche is that say you're an actor. And, you know, you just absolutely love to perform and you love to act. And then as a side hustle, you're doing something that has absolutely nothing to do with what you love to do. Then I think that can really wear on you. And that's where in this business, I'm convinced, and it's few and far between, you know, one in a million that are overnight successes. Typically, it's someone that's been grinding their tail off, working so hard, auditioning like crazy, getting smaller roles that lead to bigger roles that lead to bigger roles. But there's no such thing as an overnight success and very similar to the music industry. You know, you hear about these bands or a song that pops that you love and you're like, geez, where's that band been? Where that band has been is probably playing smaller nightclubs and bars for 10, 15, 20 years before they finally got their break. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So I absolutely love to hear success success stories like that where people are grinding it out and then they finally get that break, you know, whatever they determine that break to be, where they're rewarded for their efforts. To me, that's those are the great stories. Right. Let me clue you in on something, Chris. Guess where those same musicians are going to be after the song leaves the charts and there's no more up there on the chart. Guess where they're headed back to? Back to the music store. They're back to the same small clubs, the same local environment, 
generally speaking, but not always, it's close to where they live. So you don't have a lot of transportation and all that. And sure, they're going to be doing a side hustle at the same time. Just because you have one record up on the charts uh, means very little, especially with some of the crooks in this business here. You know what I mean? You don't always make out. You don't make out a lot of money on your first hit because uh, there's so much sinister behavior going on in, in, behind the scenes. You really hear and hear and read a lot about that in both the music industry and the film industry. You have to be so careful and be really careful with the contracts that you sign. No, isn't that the you truth? Know, the, the, yeah. best investment, oh my, the, the best investment, and they are not inexpensive to say the least, is you know get an entertainment lawyer if you're in the film industry and really have him or her peruse anything you sign before you sign it. Uh, make sure you're not signing your life away or really be cognizant of what you're you're signing because uh, you can really get yourself in, in a bad deal very quickly. And you hear, again, hear and read about that all the time in the music industry and the film industry. Right. Oh, I and recommend I the watching. same thing for music, not just acting. Sure. I recommend a, uh, oh, yeah. a uh, entertainment lawyer for music. Some of their contracts are brutal, you know. Brutal. Brutal. Uh, and you hear about it all the time. And only a few of those artists really have the means to fight that once they get themselves into a contract. It's very difficult to untangle and get out of that. And, you know, we've all, we've read stories about Tom Petty and others that have fought the, the, the industry and, and managed to succeed. But again, those those may be few and far between. You know, once you get yourself into hot water with a contract that's not benefiting, you know, the artist, that can be really tough to get untangled from. So word of the wise, you know, hire an entertainment lawyer. They're incredibly expensive. Expensive, but uh, they can really help save a lot of pain. Right. One of the highlights of my career was when I was the guest of Tom Petty backstage in, uh, where was it? Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. And I absolutely loved oh, I love- it. But what he said was he has worked his, and he used the word off, you know, <laughs> he said, I've worked my yeah. blank off to keep my concert prices low. And then my fans show up and some idiot is out there charging him $30 to park a car. Now, and that's something he can't control. So you see what I mean? Everybody wants a piece of the pie. It's all a hustle, isn't it, Rick? It's all a hustle. Oh, isn't that the truth? You think about the merchandise. Parking, merchandising, parking, beverages. I mean, I can't tell you for an adult beverage what Kathy and I pay when we go to a performing arts center. It's 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 crazy. It's absolutely ludicrous. And it's like they have a captive audience. So if you want to have a beverage, you're going to pay this or choose not to. Or choose and the not merchandise to. And the park, or choose not to. But, it's, but again, it's a business. And one of the things that when I'm wearing the producer hat that I like to share, especially with younger creatives that are very hell-bent on on being just that a creative and not really having a lot of knowledge on the business side is that, you know, don't, don't misinterpret for one second in the film industry, like the music industry, it is absolutely a business. It's about return on investment. It's about, can you make something that's going to 
turn someone else on and that they can turn that around, sell whatever that is and make a profit on it. And if you start thinking that way, and for some creatives, it's very difficult because they really want to focus on the art and not the business. But if you can find that marriage between the art side and the business side, then that's a nice one-two punch. Uh, I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, and I'm speaking for the film world. It is not easy. It's never a guarantee. You can make a fantastic film and not see a financial return. Or sometimes I hear these financial returns and I scratch my head thinking, how in the world could that film have made so much money? Uh, so there's never a guarantee in terms of an ROI, but at least with pre-planning and pre-production, you can kind of think ahead and hedge your bet a little bit on that with good proper planning. Right. What did I hear Sylvester Stallone say? He said that when he made Rocky, the first one, yeah. he mortgaged yep. his home. He mortgaged his house against it. Yeah. And I don't yeah. care how in the world, uh, oh, let me say, how vulnerable you are. I just don't think I have it in me to do that. I could never, I think, remortgage my home on a project like that. It's, I mean, I feel the same way about these restaurant owners. So many of their dollars, it's invested in perishables that could go bad yeah. with a call that COVID is back and nobody's showing up and you're losing your sure. shirt. You know what I mean? You're losing your, you I know bet. what? High risk, high risk. One of my favorite stories is the Sylvester Stallone story. And, you know, as a kid, I remember lining up to see Rocky, first one. I think it was released in 76. I could not have been more excited uh, to see that film. And then when you hear the backstory about how he got there and what he had to do and how he didn't sell the screenplay. He put a stake in the ground and said, I will sell the screenplay if and when I'm starring in the project that I wrote. I need to believe in myself. And as I recall, Rick, he said something about, I've been poor. You know, I've slept in a van. I don't need fancy things. I've been there. So, you know, it's not a threat. It wasn't really a threat for him not to have money because he had been, he had walked in those shoes before. So talk about the intuitiveness because he could have pitched that screenplay off to a studio for a lot of money back in 1976. But again, he threw a stake in the ground saying no, and no can be a powerful negotiating term. And he held tight to that. And as I recall, he would park, literally park an executive producer and producer's driveway, banging on the door and wouldn't leave until, you know, so someone would meet with him and, you know, basically comply with what he was selling. And what he was selling was himself, himself as the actor, himself as the writer, himself as this is my brand. I'm not going to sell it and lose control. And man, if you don't admire that story, then you probably shouldn't be in the film industry. To me, that's what it's all about. But to your point, man, does that take courage? Holy cow. You really have to be committed. And he was. And here we are 50 years later, 50 years later, and uh, he's still working that franchise. Now with not only the Rockies, but with the Creed films. And he's actually in a series that's streaming that's doing really, really well as well. So he just keeps on going because I think, you know, it's that stick to mental toughness, physical toughness, and belief in himself. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. One of the best Hollywood stories, I think, ever. To me, that could be my favorite. How he just wouldn't give in until, uh, until his demands were met, you know, as a creator. 
<laughs> right. you, I heard him. I heard him say that, uh, and this was years ago, and I it was not recently. He was referring to his early, early career. I think what he did, he either borrowed or went to a dealer, and he knew he had an important meeting with an important person or two. And darned yeah. if he didn't get the, he either rented or somebody allowed him to use, or somehow. He got his hands on this borrowed Rolls Royce and he showed up at the meeting and, oh, yes, it's a pleasure to meet you. And nobody was none wow. the wiser, you see. Yeah, people buy with their eyes. If he's, if he's yeah. coming up in a Rolls Royce, he must be successful. He must know mm. what he's doing. He's obviously, you know, a man in this case to be reckoned with. And, you know, again, uh, perception could be the audience's reality in that case. Isn't and that no one's the, the wiser. truth? Yes. Now, yeah. you mentioned the, yeah, it's a good story. And you mentioned the young creatives a few moments ago. What do you tell these young creatives that I want to get in the film business and you've seen it now on 15 films or more? What do you what advice are you going to give them? Yeah, I mean, I have 51 IMDb credits, uh, 21 as a producer, gosh, 20 as an actor, two as a director and then eight others. So and that's in a relatively short amount of time. So when they see that, so they oftentimes when I'm approached by young creatives and that can either be young and age or young in the industry, um, they'll check out my IMDb first and say, okay, you know, this guy's got some producing credit, so I'll give him a call and kind of see if he's interested. And the first thing that I like to let them know is that I kind of want to know where their head is at and are they at least willing to understand immediately uh, and, and talk with me about the fact that regardless of how strong you think your screenplay is, if they're the writer or the actor or they want to direct it because they've written it and they want to have control, regardless of all that, um, and that's great, provided it's strong material that I may be interested in helping with, do they fully understand any or all of the business components associated with film? Do they really get the preparation and understanding and how detailed it has to be during the pre-production process? So having their ducks in a row, establishing a budget that you're not going to exceed by two or three or four or five times, which is often the case, because people just don't understand. It's not, it's not their fault. They just haven't done it enough to understand how much things cost in this business. Do they, you know, do they have the line items again lined out on a budget basis? Do they understand the time, effort, energy, and financial firepower behind any project, whether it's a 10-minute short film or a two-hour feature? Many of the same components apply. And oftentimes what will happen is a creative will approach me, and I can only speak for myself, with what they think is a very strong story or screenplay, which is great. You know, it all starts with good writing, but they haven't yet had the chance or haven't been taught oftentimes about all the other things that go into making a film. And I think because of my business experience, that's where I can help add value. And um, that's what I want to do. I want to add value in a production if I come on as a executive producer, producer, whether I'm acting in the film or not, to kind of help them through some of those gates and hurdles that are required in the pre-production and pre-planning process before one frame of film is shot. Then it's all the intricacies associated with actually filming the project. Then it's all the intricacies 
intricacies and um, uh, things that need to be done in post-production. So you have pre-production, production, production, and post-production. And I will say, Rick, each of them are marathons. None of them are sprints. The more, you know, you think that you can, if you think you can rush through any of those, uh, typically you're probably not going to have a very strong project because they're each so important and each of them take quite a bit of time, more than anyone can imagine because there's so many details to be worked out. And that's why, you know, in this business, you'll always hear producers that have been doing it a while. Remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And some of these projects, I'll give you an example, Follow Her, a feature film that um, will be sold in, in distribution by May of this year. But the young creator who wrote it and started it and the director and producer, they began working on that feature film over four years ago. And now it's finally in a position where it's being sold. It just, and that's not uncommon. It just takes a long time if you do it right. No, that's true. It it, It takes 16 hours to get this one-hour podcast before the public, at minimum. Do you believe that? Wow, wow. I do. I do. Yeah, it I does. I absolutely do. It absolutely and does. The, the, the thing that it's really interesting to me is, say, Kathy and I will go to a movie and we'll watch a 90-minute film, and then typically, you know, maybe you chat, if it's a really good film, you chat about it after the film and maybe a, a day or a week after, and then maybe you revisit it or watch it again. And little. And if it's not a good film, then it's like, okay, what's for dinner? You know, what are we going to do now? On to the next thing. And now I have a, such a deep appreciation for behind the scenes. So when you're sitting in the movie theater watching a film, behind the scenes, hundreds, typically hundreds and hundreds of people involved in one way or another, and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours and years before the public sees what's on the screen. And I have such a deep appreciation for that hard work and effort to get anything done. Sometimes it amazes me that any films are done because it's such a laborious process. And um, I think 10,000 films will be made this year. So people still make films and they do a darn good job of it and uh, you know the challenging part is to get get it out there so the world can enjoy and watch them after all that hard work and effort so it is a labor of love um, yeah and I do believe it you know 16 hours of work in for a one hour podcast I absolutely get it oh trust I me that that's a true day. statement very true yes all yeah. right you're yeah. an actor you're a producer you're a director you're a writer do you ever get the roles confused when you're directing do you look at yourself as an actor and what would I do? Or do you have to look at the person doing the acting and say, I'm not him or I'm not her, but this is what I would like them to do. Doesn't it get confusing? Absolutely. And I think um, as I do this more and more, I'm trying to, um, may not be the exact light, right terminology, but I'm trying to put each of those in four different silos or buckets because producing is different than acting, directing, and writing, uh, just like acting is different than the other three buckets. So to the extent that I can do even a more proficient job of putting each of those four things you mentioned, those duties that you mentioned in their separate silos or buckets, that helps keep my head screwed on straight. Where it gets a little confusing, and a little muddied is if I'm in a project that I'm acting in that I'm also directing and that I'm also producing and um, or I've written it. So then it, it can get a little muddy because your hand is stirring all four pots where it's easier and easy is never the right word to use in this industry because nothing's easy, but where it's a little cleaner or easier is if you're just hired to act in a particular film and then you're basically, in my mind, kind of a gun for hire. Here's my lines, you know, you know your lines, you're prepared, you're going to get 
give it your absolute best, and then you're off to the next project. And in a way, sometimes that's a breath of fresh air because you don't have to worry about producing, directing, and or writing you know, duties, particular, particularly the producing duties after you know the acting work has been done are, are so all-encompassing. So um, folks that do all four, uh, I, I like doing all four, but it's not for everyone. It can be somewhat confusing, but I get a charge out of that. I get invigorated if I'm involved in all aspects of the creation, but that may not be for everyone. For me, I mean, it's a dream if I can write something, have the wonderful opportunity to direct it, act in it, and produce it, sign me up. I love that. Maybe that's a sense of control, kind of controlling the destiny of the project, knowing that you don't do it alone, you do it with a big team, but you have more control than whether, than if you're just, say, acting in something where you're really being controlled, not in a bad way, but you're being directed or controlled by the director. And that director typically is being, you know, controlled or directed by the producer, which essentially is the boss. That's who's writing the checks typically, not always, or helping raise money so that the production can be funded. So um, it just depends on your mindset. Well, look, there's a place right next door here in Montgomery, Ohio. Make sure to get a hold of me. I might be able to get you a Rolls Royce over there if you need it. (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) All right. Bring me up to date. Bring me up to date. What are you working on right now? We are thrilled to announce that we just submitted our sizzle reel to Tribeca on the 18th of January for an eight-episode episodic called The Fledgling. And The Fledgling is written and directed by a wonderful creator, Joe Gettle, G-I-E-T-L. And um, I acted in it, but I'm also helping him. You know, we're partners in this project, and I'm helping him executive produce it and produce it. We were able to attach the wonderful actor, Juliet Landau, uh, best known for her role as Drusilla, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer for, gosh, 20 years. Uh, she's in L.A., and um, she's actually the daughter of Martin Landau and uh, Barbara Bain. So she comes from Hollywood royalty, and she's been wonderful to work with. Another young lady that we cast as the lead in The Fledgling is a wonderful young 12-year-old actress, Anastasia Veronica Lee, who had uh, worked in a uh, film with Dustin Hoffman and Candace Bergen so uh, and Julian Moore. So she's a terrific young actor out of New York, and Juliet's out of L.A. So The Fledgling now we're in the um, kind of the grind process of raising funding for an awareness for the pilot and ongoing seven episodes. I start a, uh, a feature called Fresh Blood with a creator, Kyle Kleeg, A-L-E-E-G-E. That's going to be in about six months. And um, I have four screenplays that I am currently turning into feature films. So um, I'm working on my own screenplays that I'm very passionate about and one other screenplay called My Friend Seth, who was written by uh, Kayla Romanowski, and I did a film with her called A Lasting First Impression. This is a single or a minimal location thriller, and she's a wonderful young writer who I've already worked with and partnered with on a film we shot a year ago in October. So, um, and gosh, uh, the list goes on and on. I, I wrapped um, a Convergence last week, which uh, was attended day, very intensive 10-day feature shoot, and we're in post-production on that. We'll get that geared up for film festivals, and then we're going to do our best to distribute and monetize that film as well. And um, I'll tell you, Rick, I could go on for a long time, but those are the, those are the biggest ones. But I'm always working, uh, kind of my philosophy is keep that project pipeline full. So there's projects that are in the screenplay, uh, you know, version, just a screenplay, not even in pre-production yet. There's projects I have now in pre-production, production, and post-production. So I'm always trying to keep keep that film screenplay, or uh, I'm trying to keep that film pipeline full at all times. Very, very well. I used to watch Martin Landau and Barbara Bain 
Mission Impossible. You remember that? One of my favorite shows, and I oh, fell in love loved with it. both those actors in that show. And he won an Academy Award, and I think uh, Barbara has won four Emmys. So um, Juliet comes from incredibly, uh, um, you know, lauded acting stock, and uh, and she's fabulous to work with. Just delightful, incredibly encouraging, really strong actor. And she has uh, the benefit of working with someone like Juliet is that she has her whole life has been in the industry. Right. So, she She's grew up. Helping, she grew up with helping. famous parents in it. Sure, very famous parents, and um, also she has that perspective about here's some ideas or thoughts that may work, you know, within this genre, within the the uh, genre that she's working with us on on this particular project. And here's some ideas that you know for your consideration. And she's always very great about sharing and very gracious about sharing those ideas. So yeah, she's been fabulous to work with, as well as Anastasia. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun working with people that have done it a while that really know their stuff that can kind of help point us in the right direction. All right. Very, very well. If people say, I heard Chris on the podcast, I'd like to get a hold of him. What are they going to do? Yes. So I have a website, Rick. Thanks for asking. www.chrisgauntactor.com. That has every single project I'm working on now. It has um, everything I've done and it has all the ways people can reach me on all my social media handles, the, the usual suspects. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, my IMDB uh, site, etc. So they can find me on IMDB. I'm the first Chris Gaunt listed. I'm Chris Gaunt actor on Insta and Facebook and Twitter. And then my the, the easiest way to reach me is my website, www.chrisgauntactor.com. All one word. Right. That's C-H-R-I-S. Sometimes Chris cannot have the H in it. So make sure to put the H in there. C-H-R-I-S. Last name Gaunt. G-A-U-N-T. ChrisGauntactor.com. That's your website. And from there, there, they even have email, I believe, on there where they could drop you a line. Isn't that true? That is true, Rick. And I often get email requests right from my website. So it's very easy for people to reach me. They can also, I'm an animal on social media. They can reach me through Facebook, through Instagram, through Twitter. I'm always very quick to do my best to respond. Even when I'm on set during breaks, I'll take a look at my social media handles and my um, website. So I, I try to keep up with um, any inquiries or questions. I pride my myself on trying to be as quick as possible getting back. Absolutely. Well, you've come highly recommended to me. And one of the reasons they wanted me to interview you is because they said this guy has done a lot of projects in a very short amount of time. And you're blessed somehow to have done that. Uh, how did that happen when most people are struggling to do one movie a year and you've done at least 15 so far, not to mention every other thing that you've done. How did it happen? You did so much so soon. Yeah. I think some may see that as a blessing, and uh, I see it as a blessing. It's either a blessing or a curse, but for me, it's a blessing. And what I often do, and 
maybe someday I'll learn, but probably not, is I tend to say yes and then figure out how I'm going to do it later. So um, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite quotes that I read every single day because it's scattered all through my home is, do the things you think you can't, and you'll be amazed at what can be accomplished. So, and I look at that every single day, and um, it's amazing if you say yes to something, even if you feel like, you know what, I'm not sure I can do that, or am I qualified to do that? Am I good enough to do that? Say yes. Say yes and then figure out the details after you've committed to doing it. Because there's nothing like committing to something and then, hey, you have to do it, right? So it's like it's in writing, it's committed, whether it's contractual or verbal, now, you, now you've committed, you have to get it done. So I think early on, you know, when I didn't, I would audition like crazy and, and Kathy was very gracious and Kathy and I would get in the car and we'd drive to auditions everywhere, you know, primarily in the East Coast when I first started out. And I would try to do my best, say yes to any project that needed to be cast. And I looked at that as a gift to get a yes because it's so hard and such a grind doing the audition process. But to me, the audition is the job. You've already got the job, the audition. If someone wants you to audition, it's your job then to take it to the next level and to prove to them why you're the best candidate. If not, you move on. You don't take it personally, you move on. So a couple of things, I think the business experience gave me a tough skin where I don't take it personally. Uh, You brush it off, kind of like water off a duck's feathers and you go on to the next opportunity. You stay humble, you ask questions, you learn a lot. And for me, it's about that, saying yes, and then figuring out all the details surrounding that yes after. And I can't stress enough, you know, live by something that you really believe in. And for me, do the things you think you can't. And it's amazing if you have that attitude, what can get done. Very, and very the well. Present themselves. The corporate yeah. life for 32 years prior to acting is really what molded your business uh, acumen. It's what made you who you are. Would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. Having uh, discipline that I learned, having a very strong work ethic for me, up early, you know, work hard, go hard all day. And then the business acumen that you referenced to me that has been absolutely critical, particularly with producing responsibility. I I can't stress enough how important that is. So for any young creators, uh, again, whether it's young in age or young in the business that are maybe listening to this, do yourself a favor and get some base education on the business aspects that go along with creating a film. Because it's more than just having an incredibly strong screenplay and terrific actors. There's so much more (laughs) behind the film. So do yourself a favor or find someone that really has that strong business acumen that can help you along the way so that you're um, never guaranteed of success, but it certainly helps to get the film from where it is now to a film that hopefully millions can enjoy. Isn't that the absolute truth. The late David Bowie. I think you know who that is, don't you? Uh, miss, him, miss him so much. Love him. Fame. Remember his song, Fame, 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 Fame. What yeah. you like is in the limo. Once you're there, yeah. where things are hollow. And my advice yeah. is, you better not forget that things are hollow. Oh, they'll smile right at you. But when they go to the next film, they're smiling to the next guy and the next one and the next one. It's a hollow 
whole business. Everybody is promoting everything, especially themselves, and I can't blame them. You have to promote yourself or you're not going to do anything. So it's hollow. It means nothing if you have not a quality product to be proud of in the end. Do you see where I'm coming from? Do you see where David Bowie said it was hollow? And do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I abs- first of all, I love him and, and miss him. Uh, absolutely loved him as a performer, uh, a lyricist. Amazing. Saw him in concert several times. What a force. What a creative force. And I absolutely know what he's talking about, although I'd never not come close to having, you know, uh, the type of fame that he had and still has, right? But I, I get it. I get what he was talking about. And to me, it's stay humble, ask a lot of questions, learn. And um, in the business world, we used to talk a lot about using what we used to call a current best approach. So what's the current best approach to help move a project from A to Z and constantly be nimble and refine that current best approach? Because what a current best approach is for one film may not be the current best approach for another film and another film and another film. So constantly be flexible and refine and learn so that you're not perhaps doing things exactly the same way, particularly if one project wasn't as successful as you wanted it to be. Or if it was very successful, then why was it why was it successful so you're not constantly reinventing that wheel? And I do think, you know, probably in this business, I mean, you're really as good as your last project. And, um, you know, some superstars can probably have a few flubs here and there, but someone at my level, I mean, you constantly want to improve and up the ante up the game and you're only as good as your last project. So I like focusing on things that interest me, things that I'm passionate about and um, things that I really want to get behind, whether I'm acting in it or not, you know, particularly at a producer's level. And uh, that's what I'll continue to do as, as long as I'm on this great earth. All right. Very well. If somebody wants some pep talk or some advice on show business in general, y- you know, they may not have even started their first project. Would they be able to write you and just say, Chris, I heard the podcast. You sound good. Here's what I'm interested in. Can you give me a couple sentences about what you think I ought to do, A or B? And could they write you, or do you are you only looking for the pros and professionals to write you? I respond to every single person that reaches out to me. I do my absolute best to respond to them, whether they're just starting out. And I've had so many discussions with people that are just starting out. In fact, I just read a screenplay by a young screenwriter writer that I really like, by the way, and um, he's probably 21, 22 years old and just starting out as a screenwriter, a very talented young man. So whether they've been in the business for a day or they've been in the business for their entire life, I'm receptive to having those discussions 24-7. That actually gives me much personal joy if we can share stories back and forth or if I can give them whomever would be reaching out any bits of advice or just hear them out. uh, I'd welcome those discussions and I do my best to respond. So the best way to reach me on that would just be through my website or through my social media handles. Website. What is it? www.chrisgauntactor.com. Chris Gaunt, ladies and gentlemen, is an American actor. He has been our guest today. Not only is he an actor, but he's a producer, director, and writer. He
He has performed in films, commercials, music videos. He is known for his work in the films Paint, Lorena, A Lasting First Impression, Against the Ropes, Follow Her, Dreams of a Drowning Girl, Catching Up, and La Transione, parentheses, The Transaction. He is not only an actor, he has produced, directed, written several films and other projects we've not talked about. His being a giver back to the community he serves and helping on nonprofit work, we've not even discussed his uh, ability, which he dearly loves, in athletics. That is going to be for another day. Thank you, Chris Gaunt, and check him out at his website, ladies and gentlemen. He would be an invaluable source for somebody that wants to get in this crazy business, which he waited 32 good years to get in after having a very good career in the corporate world. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I believe it's helped him. If you're doing the side hustle, if you're doing something other than show business, but you want to know what time it is and how to handle this or that, I would highly recommend it. Getting someone's advice who's been there and done that. And this is our guest today, ladies and gentlemen. Chris with an H, C-H-R-I-S, Gaunt, G-A-U-N-T. Thank you, sir. And I hope you've enjoyed yourself. It's been a delight to have you. Rick, this has been one of the best discussions I've had since I decided to exit the more traditional business world and get into entertainment. You're absolutely a fantastic host. Thank you so much for having me on your program. And it's nice to hear someone from Cincinnati again. Thank you. Thank you. You're excellent. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself and our special guest from New York, Chris gaunt and you can reach him at all the places on all the social media and everything through his website of course you have your email you have everything you need what a great show what a great personality we wish him continued success i want to thank him as he made himself available from New York, ladies and gentlemen, just to come on the show and talk to you, not only in the United States, but our dear audience over in the United Kingdom, Germany, and everywhere else where this show is heard. Thank you all so very much, and we'll see you next Wednesday with a brand new show. Good night, everyone. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.